so I'm going to preach on waiting on the Lord. Uh, it's something the Lord's been dealing with me about for the last few weeks. Um, Psalm 27. It's a really kind of well-known passage. It's one that we've emphasized in the house of prayer for years. And one of really kind of our theme verses from the mouth of David. And uh, well, as I get into the message, I'll just share with you how the Lord's been dealing with me. But let's look at this passage. Psalm 27, verse 4 most of you could probably quote it. One thing have I, I have desired of the Lord, that will I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. I love this. I love David's heart. The more I look at David, the more I see what a heart that's fully given to the Lord looks like. I want you to think about David for a moment. He's king. He has all the military might. He has all the money. He's got all the influence. He's got everything in the natural that somebody would potentially ever want. And he says, there's actually one thing that I want. It's actually none of this. I don't want more military might, more finances. I don't want more influence, more lands. I don't want more stature. I don't need greater this or that. There's one thing that I desire, he said, and it's to dwell in the house of the Lord. There's one thing I really long for is to dwell in the presence of God. When I look at David's heart, man, it always just it encourages me. It fills me, with, it fills me with conviction and courage simultaneously because I, I think I want to have a heart like David. I want to have a heart that values the presence of God above everything else. And so uh, whenever you read this passage, though, you find this. He says, there's one thing I desire. That's, that's what I'm going to seek. I'm going to dwell in the house of the Lord and <laughs> gaze on his beauty and inquire on his temple. And so I always go, is it one thing you're asking for or is it three things you're asking for? And, and I realize that it's, not, it's, it's, it's actually one thing with two subpoints. Hallelujah. So you can, you'd get to touch the teacher in David. <laughs> You know, a lot of times a teacher goes, okay, there's one point, 17 sub points. We're going to hit them all. And, and so that's what David is saying. He goes, I want to dwell. I want to be planted in the presence of God. He goes, and when I'm planted there, I want to I gaze on his beauty. I want to I meditate on the beauty, on the glorious wonder of God. I want to behold God. Now think about that for a moment. King of the nation, all sorts of options, all sorts of possibilities at his fingertips. He goes, I want to dwell in the presence of God and behold God. And I just think this, that there is not enough beholding going on in our lives right now. We need a lot more beholding. We need a lot more slowing down and staring into the face of God looking into his beauty, staring into his glory so that we can get reoriented in our soul and reoriented in our emotions. I find this, that my soul follows what I stare at, the condition of my soul, 
So if I'm always staring at news headlines, if I'm always staring at the status of, of you know, our government or the status of world affairs or the status of the economy, my soul is subject to whatever I'm staring at. But when my soul is fixed and staring at God, those things might fluctuate, but there is a, there's a settling in my soul that transcends any of the natural changes in the earth. You know what I'm saying? And this is what we need right now. We need to behold him. We need to stare at him. And what does that mean? That means consider who he is. Consider his glory. Consider his worth. Consider what he's like, his attributes, his emotions, what's going on in God. And so when David is saying, I'm, I want to behold the beauty of God, he's thinking about, yes, his visage. He's thinking about the flame of fire, the, 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 the wonder of who he, who he is and what he looks like, the, the majesty of him. But he's also thinking deeper. He's thinking about who is he? What is he like? And I think there's so many believers that, I mean, they literally, their conception of God is like the version that they got in the McDonald's drive-thru. Like they just drive through church, get something from the preacher, and that's who God is, and they almost never stop and think through what does it mean that you're from everlasting, to everlasting. What does that even mean? What does it mean you've loved me with an everlasting love? One of the most settled issues in all eternity is God's affections for us. It's been from forever that God has loved us. And so many of us, we're still wrestling through, does God even like me? And, and that's not a shame point. That's, that's a point that, that is, is manifest because we don't consider him. We don't stop and slow down enough to think about what does it mean that the uncreated God has had love and affection for you forever. We don't, we don't, we just don't behold him like we should. And, and so I, he goes, I want to consider all that he is, all that's in him. And he goes, and then I want to inquire. I want to ask questions. <laughs> I want to ask questions. Jesus, why are your eyes on fire? Why is your face shining like the sun? When John saw you, what was going on atmospherically that made your best friend fall down? as a dead man. I, I wanna ask him questions. What is it, see I have this verse in Job that always is interesting to me. It's, it talks about in the creation that the morning stars were singing, the angels were singing into the creation with God. And I think what was that like when you said let there be light and the chorus of angels said light? You know like what was that? And that's what David said. He goes, above anything that I want, I'm going to stare at him and ask him questions. I want to dwell. I want to plant myself in his presence. And I would tell you that if you want identity, it comes from him. It doesn't come from anything you do. It comes from who he is. He's the only one that can speak identity into you. And so planting yourself before him, it's why David said this is more important. This is the one thing I want over anything else is to be before him because I know him and I know me when I'm before him in his presence. Amen. 
And what's interesting about Psalm 27.4 is oftentimes we snag it and we, we go, man, that's such a rich passage. And we pull it, out, you know, pull it out of the context. But when you read it in the context, you have verse 3 and verse 5. And what you find is that it's, because it sounds almost pie in the sky, right? I just want to dwell in his presence and gaze on his beauty. Like, Really? Like, I'm busy, bro. I got stuff to do. I'm this, that, and the other. Uh, yeah, and David actually puts Psalm 27, 4 between 3 and 5. And in verse 3 and 5, he says this, though an army may encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war may rise against me, in this I will be confident. And then he says the one thing. And then he says, for in the time of trouble, he shall hide me in his pavilion, in the secret place of his tabernacle. He shall hide me. He shall set me high upon a rock. And, and the point of Psalm 27, 4 is it's in the moment of the greatest trial and persecution that David says one thing, do I desire? And this one thing I seek and so all of our arguments about being busy or too important or having too much going on, I'm not able to slow down and seek him and plant myself in his presence. David completely thwarts that in this chapter because he's actually in the midst of having an army coming against him that he wrote this. It's later in his life. And it's this moment where he's about to die. If it weren't for his military commander, he dies. But he's, you know, it's almost like the, the, the military commander comes to him and goes, hey, 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 we've got serious issues. We have an army that is getting ready to, to, to come down on you, and they're trying to assassinate you. And he goes, you know what? I'm going to seek the Lord. How many of us would run to strategy, run to the military outpost, run to our strength to figure out the answer? He goes, you know what? There's one thing I want. I'm going to dwell in his presence. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stare into the being of God, and I'm going to ask him questions. And he goes, when I hide myself in his presence, then there's deliverance. And he goes, he, he will deliver me. In the time of trouble, he shall hide me. In the secret place of his tabernacle, he shall hide me. He'll set me upon a rock, which is exactly what happens in David's life. And so here we have this amazing passage of slowing down, setting your face towards God, engaging with God, really engaging with him. And it's in this time of the greatest pressure. And so it really defeats all of our reasoning, doesn't it? It really defeats all of our, you know, outs. You know, I, I want to do that, but I'm just, you know, I'm so busy. I don't think that that so busy thing is going to work when the Lord actually investigates us. You know what I'm saying? He's calling us to slow down. We as a spiritual family, is, he's calling us to slow down and seek him. But this is really for believers, that we're to live in his strength, we're to live in his grace, and not to live in the arm of the flesh. And this is really where the rubber meets the road, that we would prefer to do things in the arm of the flesh than slow down and wait on God to be strength for us. I'm preaching way better than y'all are amening right now. That's okay. Somebody said, brother, we can't amen when our mouths are full. I go, okay, all right, all right. So David summarizes Psalm 27 with this, and he says, wait on the Lord. Verse 14, at the end of the chapter, it's the summary of everything he said in Psalm 27. He goes, wait on the Lord, 
Be of good courage. He'll strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Wait on the Lord. And this is like one of David's life lessons where he understands that unless he waits on the Lord, he's going to operate in the flesh. He's going to operate in his own strength. And operating in his own strength would ultimately not bring to pass the will of God. It wouldn't bring to pass fruitfulness in his life. And our challenge is, as I've said, we are addicted to activity. We want activity even if it's not anointed. We do. I mean, even, even when I was praying, just slowly praying, quietly before the message, some of you started itching and twitching. Like, oh my gosh, could you please finish the prayer? Yes, 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 we know, we know. Revelation on the word, we got it. Stand there, hold his hand, okay. Let him be an oracle, we got it. I'm dying, it's quiet in here. Could they get a keyboard or something to put something going on there? <laughs> Think that through, we do. We, we want activity even if it's not God. Yeah. Just give us activity. Because yeah. we're so frenzied in our soul. We're so untrained by God. We're so trained by media. I remember, I, this is years ago, I was watching this thing where they showed like commercials from like 1970s, and then they showed commercials from like the 2000s, and the 70s are like these slow rolling com commercials where they're like telling a story about whatever's going on. Like, when I drink coffee, it makes me jittery. And I really have, my doctor said I shouldn't drink any more caffeine. It's like this slow thing, you're like, okay. And then they show the, the uh, commercials from 2000, and it's like, image, 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 image. And it's like just this frenzy thing. Till we don't even realize that our souls are addicted to action. Our minds are addicted to images. And we don't, we don't even understand that there's been like a script written over our heart that it, it requires us to move, and God goes, slow down. Slow down. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage. Why does it say be of cur good courage? Because it takes courage to wait on the Lord. Because you're, you're sitting there joning to do something. I've got to move. I've got to, I've got to get some activity. And you're, you're having to literally wrestle your soul into submission. He goes, wait on the Lord. Be of good courage. He will strengthen your heart. If there's anything I know about myself, when I'm feeling burnt out, it's because I'm not waiting. Because I haven't waited properly. I'm not talking about waiting for five minutes. I'm going to define waiting on the Lord here in a second, and it's going to be a burner. But this is not about pausing. We, we love to quote the Proverbs, you know, three, like, uh, acknowledge the Lord in all your ways, and he'll direct your paths. And we sort of, like, tip our head to the Lord. But that acknowledging of the Lord is stopping and waiting until the Lord directs your paths. It's not like, I'm going this way, Lord, see me? Okay. Can you, pray, can you anoint what I'm doing? 
Our prayers are often, I'm going this way, God, bless it. And that's not even Bible. What's clearly in the Bible is wait on the Lord and he will strengthen you. He will direct you. He will lead you with his eye. He goes, be of good courage. He'll strengthen your heart. And then he says it emphatically, wait on the Lord. And so the the summary verse of Psalm 27 is slow down and wait for the Lord to bring the direction, to to bring the strategy, to, to, to bring the deliverance, to bring his presence. Let's think about waiting on the Lord. Here's the thing about waiting. Waiting is never on your own terms. By definition, it's always on the terms of the one that you're waiting for. (laughs) Just think this through for a moment. If I'm waiting for you, let's imagine I'm picking you up to come to church this morning, and I pull up to your house, I go, okay, ready to go? You go, yep, just getting out of bed. Let uh, Let me get myself ready. I'm like, dude. It starts in like 15 minutes. Oh, just give me a sec. And you roll back, and all of a sudden, I hear like the Keurig start brewing. I'm like, hey, we've got to go. Yeah, got to get my coffee. Okay, get your coffee, and let's roll. And then you're like, oh, no, no, I got to hop in the shower, too. <laughs> I'm like, hop in the shower and the Keurig? That's, we're going to be late. And, they're like, and then you just turn to me and go, but, but would you wait for me? And I'm like on fire, like burning, like, oh, yes, I'll wait. You drink your coffee, you're in the shower, you know, and, and I hear you know, on, off, okay, now, hey, you ready? Oh, 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 I have to like, you know, iron my clothes. I'm like, you know what, I appreciate that. You're gonna need to get an Uber, I'm gone. But if I take off without you, listen, have I waited for you? I paused, and it was according to my own schedule that I had a certain limit that I was willing to go to. And and because your plan and your schedule was beyond what my internal limit was, I did not wait. In fact, I left you. Waiting requires that you stay put until the one you are waiting for is ready. And so here's what we do with the Lord. We go, Lord, I'm waiting on you. I'm waiting on you. See, look, I am waiting. (sighs) Waiting. I've been here a full 60 seconds, Jesus. I have to go now. Anoint me. And then you go. And and, and the thing is, you didn't even wait. All you did was paused until your restless soul demanded you to move. And you never waited. You just, for half a second, you, you stopped. And your own soul is what dictated the direction, not the Lord. And so here's the deal, our willingness to wait, it says a lot about how we value our own plans and our own schedules and ourselves. 
And if we're unwilling to slow down and wait on the Lord, what we're saying is, I value my plan, my schedule, my will, my strategy, my get it doneness over you directing me. We're fond of saying, I, I've, I've counseled people this for so long. God cannot direct a parked car. So I always, I've always counseled people this. So you got to get moving in the direction, and then the Lord can steer you. And I would say that there's times when that is applicable, but most of the time it's not applicable because time that you don't wait and you just take off a certain direction, the Lord really may want you that way. And now what you've done is doubled the time that it takes by not waiting. See, we imagine if we wait, it's going to take way longer. But I will tell you that if you don't wait, it actually slows down kingdom progress. Am I making sense right now? If we just, so if we decide not to wait on the Lord, it will actually slow down what God wants to do in us. Let me give this specific application to our spiritual family right now. If we as a leadership team begin to feel pressure because people are tired of waiting on where are we going, what are we doing, and we start taking off certain directions and we don't have the clarity of the Lord on it, we will actually slow down what God wants to do in this spiritual family because we are more attentive to the voice and the, the uh, unsettled soul of, of the, the broad congregation th than we are attentive to the voice of the Lord. And so we have to wait to hear and then be directed by the Lord. And does that feel good on your flesh? Never. Is that intentional? Yes. God wants you to slow down. He wants us to slow down to do what? Deliver us from this demon called human activity. Having to get something done to prove that we're valid. I feel this for missionaries. Oftentimes they're overseas and they're in a, in a process where you know, they're getting settled, they're in language school, Really, all they're doing is they're able to pray and go to school, and then their, their partners back home who are sending finances to help support this mission work, the partners want to hear some activity. And the missionaries are like, I went to school. I, uh, it took me uh, two days to actually do all my grocery shopping. Have you ever been? <laughs> You ever been in a foreign country where nobody speaks the language and you actually have to find things for your kids to eat? It is so hard. I, I've done it with them. And it's like, it took us, I mean, this is after being completely acclimated to a culture that's completely foreign. It takes you like all day just to do the shopping. And so, I mean, and so they have nothing to really offer of action. And then they have to send the the response letter back. I try to tell missionaries that I support, hey, you don't even have to send me a letter. I believe in God in you and I'm trusting what God's doing in you. Don't, don't feel any pressure to prove to me that you're valid by typing up some kind of letter. I'll pray beforehand, and the Lord will direct me how to support you, and it's all good. Time spent waiting on Jesus is never time wasted. 
You never lose any time when you wait on him. But if you don't wait on the Lord, you actually slow down kingdom progress by refusing to wait. And this is where the Lord was dealing with me. Uh, when I was in Seoul, I was, you know, you get jet lagged, so you wake up at 4 a.m. in the morning. You have tons of time to pray. And, uh, and so there I am in the, in the room just praying, and the Lord is dealing with me about this issue of waiting. And, 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 and the Lord is just impressing my soul. He says, you've waited at times, but at times you didn't wait. And had you waited more, I would have ex- been able to accelerate what I was wanting to do in you and through you in a much greater way than I have. You've actually slowed down the progress by not waiting. And I mean, just in tears and in conviction before the Lord, just saying, please forgive me. And I look back over the years, I wish I would have done less strategy, less operating in my natural gifts, and just waiting in weakness. Because it's in my weakness that his strength is made perfect. Our problem is, we hate weakness. We do, we just hate weakness. We don't have any contests that say, the weakest person, get up here. We're gonna give you a blue ribbon and a giant trophy for the weakest individual. We don't have any of those contests. We love the strength of human flesh. We love the beauty of human flesh. We love the pretty people and we wanna put them all in front of us. And meanwhile, the Lord looks on the broken one. The Lord loves human weakness. The Lord loves when we sit there open-handed before him and say, I've got nothing. I can't add anything to this equation. You're everything, you're perfect, you're omnipotent, and I am dust. I'm dust. If you can use dust, here it is. He can be strong in that place. Impatience is a great sin. Impatience. The reason why is because the very first attribute of love is love is patient. So as soon as you get into impatience, you get out of love. And when you're out of love and you're operating in impatience, what you're actually operating by is called fear. And fear is the opposite of faith. It's actually faith in the enemy instead of trust in God. Did you guys you catch that? As soon as we get into impatience, we are out of love. And if we are out of love and we are in impatience, we're operating by fear, which is the opposite of faith. And when, when we are in fear, we are operating in, in faith in the enemy instead of trusting God. Yeah. Impatience is a great sin. Because love is always patient and faith works by love. If you're being impatient and motivated by fear, you're not in love and you're not in faith. Wow. Last thought on waiting. This isn't the end of the message, but just I'm giving, this is my introduction. The process of waiting is the breaking of your soul. It's the breaking of your soul. In the same way 
that a horse or a mule is broken. The Lord uses waiting to saddle us and to put a bit in our mouth so he can direct us. Psalm 32 verse 8 says this, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will teach you in the way you should go. I will guide you with my eye. The idea is that the eye of the Lord releases light and revelation onto your path. I will guide you with my eye. I will look and I will enlighten your path. Do not be like the horse or like the mule which have no understanding, understanding of what? Of the will of the Lord, which must be harnessed with bit and bridle, else they will not come near you. What's he saying? A horse, a horse runs ahead and a mule will not go. He goes, I'm gonna teach you and instruct you so that you're not one that will never go and so that you're not one that runs ahead. And in our day and time, we're mostly in the horse category. Everybody's running to get something done. And so often, we do not have the mind of the Lord on even what we're doing. Sometimes we have the mind of the Lord, but we don't have the green light from the Lord. Prophetic people are all, I mean, they're so... Uh, guilty of this. They can see what God wants to do, so they go, now try to make it happen. And what happens is we get more committed to what God wants to do than to God. <laughs> Am I making sense? Oh, no, this is what the Lord wants. Let's go do it. Come on. And God, you went, but you were never sent. And, and, and God's going, I'm showing you what I want to have happen so you'll sit in front of me and ask me to bring it to pass. And then when it's time to engage, I will put you into it. Don't go running ahead just because you think you know what God wants. That's called flesh. And you can have revelation of where God wants to take you and be in the flesh at the exact same time. Ask me how I know. I've done this. And I'm like, Lord, for sure you showed that to me. And when I went and did it, it was terrible. How is that possible? Because you went on your own timing and not on mine. And you had to flex your strength instead of being weak and allowing me to be strong through you. Am I communicating? Am I, is this me? No, it's not. Come on, bro. <laughs> He's like, it's hard. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just bringing you into my quiet time. It's not, I'm not sitting up here with a big finger pointing at all of you. I, this is my quiet time. Let me show you Saul. We're not going to be able to get through all this, but let me just show you this with Saul. 1 Samuel 13. Impatience is a great sin. We don't realize how great of a sin it is. It is what disqualified Saul. It's what ended up disqualifying Saul. Look at 1 Samuel 13, verse 8. Samuel has given Saul specific directions. He says, wait at Gilgal seven days. I'm going to come and, and do a sacrifice, and, 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 and then you'll be able to attack the Philistines. Then you'll be able to, to 
to, to wage war. And what Saul does is he, he grows impatient and he does the sacrifice himself. Let's just read it. Then he waited seven days according to the time set by Samuel, but Samuel did not come to Gilgal and the people were scattered from him. So Saul said, bring a burnt offering and peace offerings here to me. And he offered the burnt offering. Now it happened as soon as he had finished presenting the burnt offering that Samuel came and Saul went out to meet him that he might greet him. And Samuel said, what have you done? And you do not want the prophet to show up and say, what have you done? Saul said, when I saw that the people were scattered from me and that you did not come within the days appointed and that the Philistines gathered together at, at Michmash, then I said, the Philistines will now come down on me at Gilgal and I have not made supplication to the Lord. Therefore, I felt compelled and offered a burnt offering and Samuel said to Saul, you've done foolishly. You've not kept the commandment of the Lord your God, which he commanded you. For now the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever, but now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought for himself a man after his own heart, and the Lord has commanded him to be commander over his people because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. Listen, the pressure that Saul was facing was immense. The foot soldiers are described uh, as outnumbering the, the sand of the sea thousands and thousands of chariots and thousands and thousands of horsemen had all amassed. What had happened was this. Saul had gone and he'd stirred them up. He'd had a, a little minor victory and stirred up the Philistines and the Philistines were now mustering and they were saying, we are going to blot you out. We are going to destroy you. And the size of the military uh, you know, that they gathered was immense. It was just way beyond normal. I mean, just all, they were taking all their strength and throwing it at Israel. And it said that the people began to scatter, to even to this, that Israel, the, 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 the men of Israel were hiding in caves. They were running away because the intimidation of the enemy. And here's, the, here's, a, little, here's a little teaching point. When the enemy gathers against you, and the people scatter from you, then we get to really see what's on the inside of you. When the enemy gathers and the people scatter, then your heart is revealed. And what was in Saul that was revealed was this. He had more fear of man than he had fear of God. He cared more about what the people thought than the presence of the Lord. And so it says that Samuel was delayed in his coming. Well, let me just tell you how delayed he was. He didn't show up on the morning of the seventh day. He showed up on the afternoon. And so when he didn't show up on that morning, Saul completely steps out of line. You think, well, all he did was he did a sacrifice. No, he stepped into an office of a priest that he was not authorized to step into. You had to be set aside, set apart by the Lord, specifically anointed and called to be a priest, and Saul was not. And what he offered to the Lord was profane fire. It was actually what caused Nadab and Abihu to die. The very fire of the Lord came out and destroyed them for offering profane fire. And what Saul did was a great sin. He wouldn't wait on the Lord. And so when Samuel shows up and he says, hey, what have you done? Saul never repents. He won't pull off of it. 
He said, you were late. And the armies had gathered. And I made the sacrifice. Flesh, 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 flesh. And I would just tell you, I am more I have more of a tremble in my heart as a leader about what the Lord will say than I have about what any person will say. And so here's the deal. I definitely don't want to show up at the judgment seat and the Lord goes, what did you do? And how many leaders will have that conversation and they'll they'll say, well, the people, the people, because that's what, that's what Saul actually says. So we think a Saul leader is one that's like heavy-handed and controlling and he cuts off the worship too fast. That's really not the point. A Saul leader won't wait on the Lord. Everybody wants to go Saul and David, Saul and David. Listen, the issue is do you fear God more than you fear man? Do you want God's presence more than you want men's praise? And I'll just tell you, we want to be like David. This leadership team, we want to be like David. We need you to pray for us that we would have the grace and the courage to wait. To not go running headlong into the most cool new thing to make people feel this, that, and the other. One of our leaders had a dream this week, and in the dream it was clear the word of the Lord was to wait, to wait before the Lord until this oil well exploded. And and when when the word came, this this guy in the dream, he, he built this covering to wait before the Lord, and everybody immediately gathered, yeah, we're gonna do that. And after time, the people started getting discouraged and critical, and even the other leaders got distracted. And so by the end of the dream, the only one was this one leader that was in there waiting, and he was this nameless, faceless leader. It wasn't any specific person. But I thought, man, that is the issue. Will we allow the word of the Lord to temper our hearts enough to get us delivered from human activity so that we'll wait on the Lord until he releases power? You know, the church was birthed in a 10-day waiting meeting. Tarry in Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. 10 days. We just tried waiting for about (laughs) a minute and a half. I mean, if we did, a t- we did 15 minutes the other night on a Sunday night, I bet it was excruciating. I was out of town, but I bet it was like, oh, I'm dying. 15 minutes of waiting and our flesh is on fire. They waited for 10 days. And then fire fell. The thing that's so sad about Saul is this. There's so many things that are so sad, but this one point is such a, difficult. You've done foolishly. You've not kept the commandment of the Lord. He said, I kept the commandment of the Lord. He goes, you did not. 
You wouldn't wait. You stepped out of line. You offered profane fire. You did not wait. He said, now the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. What is he saying? He's saying, the promise that God's going to give to David in a minute, it would have been your soul. It would have been the house of Saul instead of the house of David. Messiah would have been called son of Saul instead of son of David. Do you see how serious this was? He goes, he would have established you over Israel forever. But no, he's found a 13-year-old boy. That's how old David was in this chapter. A man after his own heart. I gotta close. Last thought. God wants us to be priests. In fact, we already are a kingdom of priests. Just this last, last thought. Before a priest could ever do any service to the Lord, they had all these sacrifices and these washings, they'd cover them in blood, all this stuff. And then the last thing a priest had to do had to wait seven days in front of the congregation. And if they didn't wait seven days, they'd be put to death. The hallmark of a priest's anointing is that they wait on the Lord and they minister to the Lord. We're a kingdom of priests and it should be so evident of us as a priestly people that we wait on the Lord and we minister to the Lord. And from that place of waiting and ministry to the Lord, then we minister to one another and to others, to the lost. But we've gotten it so backwards We almost have no value for waiting and we almost don't even minister to the Lord. And it's evident when the worship becomes more about us than it is about God. And the song choices are more about us. The room temp, the padding on the seats and all of it is more about us. What can we do to make people comfortable? You see, the Lord doesn't mind if flesh is uncomfortable. Actually, the sacrifices and everything, he always came in the middle of burning flesh. And we as a priestly people, we're supposed to be a people that have a a singular concern about who's getting the priority here. And the priority goes to Jesus first. We wait on him for his pleasure and from that place, we flow out to others. That's who we are as a priestly people, and that's what God wants to make us. Amen. All right, let's stand. Just close our eyes just for a moment. I want to make sure we get our children and relieve our children's workers and our parking lot attendants and everything but Lord help us we've been so addicted to schedules and human action and I just confess it I confess my own addiction to these things to being productive to to achieving to toiling to prove myself valid 
Teach us, Lord, to wait. Train us in the way that we should go. Deliver us from activity of the flesh. Let's not do this prayer in an obligation. Let's do it in a way where we're just connecting for a moment. If this is you, just even right now, you and the Lord, if you recognize your propensity to run ahead and to not wait, just even right now, ask the Lord, Lord, cleanse me, forgive me. Help me to be confident in your leadership. Help me to be comfortable in the waiting. Lord, you do great things for those who wait for you. Isaiah 64. Teach us, Lord, to wait. Cleanse us from activities of the flesh. We want to love you well. Our whole spiritual family, we want to love you so well. Train us and lead us. Direct us. Even this week, Lord, we want to pause before you. We want to stop. We want to cease from our own works. We want to wait on you. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage. He will strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Amen.